what we often consider unhealthy in some cases is actually a form of survival that you've given purpose to keep you alive. And I think just understanding that and having the awareness allows you to respect your body instead of shame yourself for what you've done to stay alive. And I am in no way giving an excuse for you to stay addicted to things that are unhealthy. But I think it's unfair for us to assume that people engage with those unhealthy behaviors without purpose. There is a reason why we run to the unhealthy behaviors, because they are providing something that you haven't learned to provide for yourself. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back. My name's Alexa. And as always, this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. Let me teach you how to live it out. Now, this summer, we're in the very beginning of a new podcast series called How You Heal. And this podcast really takes you to the deeper places of healing that will help you heal your external body, of course, but really create that internal connection between your mind, body, and soul. Now, If you haven't listened to the previous podcast, you might want to go back and do so. It sets the stage for why this is important and how your body actually does the healing. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about affect regulation, which kind of refers to our emotions, moods, feelings, and their expressions that work with our homeostatic value to create the outcome in our body. It's a really fascinating subject, and I think it will really start to pull together how emotions are stored in our body, why this mind-body connection is such a big deal, and how you can use it as a tool to heal. Now, of course, a lot of this comes back to our emotions, our mindset, and how those are being converted into biological functions. And really, it shows the health of your mind makes so much difference in the health of your body. It is this interconnection and both are working together to healthify each other. Now, when it comes to your mind, I know a lot of us are struggling with brain fog and overwhelm and ADHD and so many things that make it difficult to pay attention to what's happening in our mind and really be productive. And I think one of the reasons why we tend to overwork is simply because we can't be productive in getting the work done that we need to. At least this has been the story in my own life. Now, a lot of people in this position rely on excess caffeine to do the workload for them. And I'm not gonna bash caffeine. I think that, you know, there's a time and a place to enjoy it. But we have this reliance on caffeine and and what we know biologically about caffeine is, is that it's hard on the body and Over time, it can change the entire hormonal flow and really this affect regulation that we're going to talk about in today's podcast. Now, in the last few years, I've been on a search for some more natural products that can help regulate your mind to boost productivity and mental focus without the external artificial sources of energy. I've written some previous blog posts on the benefits of matcha, and ironically, I found this company called Magic Minds that has all of the amazing features of these products that I was using in single doses put together in one little shot that you can take whenever you need to be more productive and energized. 
actually are quite delicious. Um, it tastes like a really refreshing kind of green shot that wakes up your body and it's full of things like matcha, lion's mane, ashwagandha, and many other adaptogens and nootrophics, which help work to regulate your mind and biology in ways it needs. Plus, it supports your immunity and helps reduce inflammation. Now, you can learn more about Magic Minds, and I'll share more later on in this podcast about how it can help you in this AFAC regulation. You can learn more and try it out for yourself using my link, magicminds.com backslash livingwell, and use the code livingwell20 for 50% off your first subscription for the next 10 days. And as always, there's so much more happening over in my weekly newsletter where I actually help you put this into practice, give you tools and resources to sort this out in your life so that you can start making changes today. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, head on over to thelivingwell.com and sign up for the weekly fill. Now, as I mentioned a few times, one of those tools that you can use is called affect regulation. But to fully understand affect regulation, I think we need to go back and understand how to create safety in our body. Because what I've come to understand and what I've come to recognize is that while in the health space, we want everything to be about food, what it really boils down to is how is our body responding to the food that we eat? Which also goes to say, it's not just about what we eat, but how our body's responding to all of life. Health is simply the outcome of what your body does with what you provide and really what your body does with all of the interactions that you have in life. Whether it's your relationships, it's your job environment, it's your purpose, it's your passions, it's your home environment. It's really just this interaction with the world around you and how your body responds to that. And how it responds is really going to create the outcome of your health. It's going to affect things like obviously how you look, how you feel, your energy levels, but even things like your posture, how you relate and receive love from other people, whether you do or don't really, and every other interaction that you have in the world. Now, connection is going to be really, really, really critical in the health of our whole. In fact, I once heard a quote that has never left me, and it said that you're only as healthy as your most unhealthy relationship. Next week, we're going to dive into that a little bit because the connection aspect is so critically important simply because we truly are dependent human beings. The ideal human health and life is not this independent lifestyle like the world is constantly promoting. In fact, it's really isolating and lonely and it's creating more sense of unsafety. And I really do think that's why maybe more people are struggling with their mental health than ever before. Because in one breath, we're told we need to live these independent lives. But in another way, your body was designed for connection. It craves a sense of belonging and it finds deep safety and community. And so we have this like push and pull where we're working in the opposite flow of the way of life we're being told is optimal. And we're really suppressing the life that is going to create that ideal health that you're looking for. Now, today we're going to dive into affect regulation. And I wanted to come back to this podcast as the number two podcast in this eight-part series on how you heal. Because as we dive into the story, the story that we're trying to change your identity, 
What we have to understand is that we can't really do that. We can't open up to see the world in a different way until we create a sense of safety from within. And as we mentioned on the last podcast, safety is the most critical element in health. Nothing changes without first creating a sense of safety within you. Now, I don't want to repeat what we talked about in the last podcast because you should go back and listen to that and also check out the blog post where we talk about medicators and traps. And the concept of medicators and traps is that we generally have a way of life, a belief system, and our body gets stuck in these patterns. And the reason that it gets stuck in these patterns, even if they're unhealthy patterns, is because we've created a sense of safety within them. Even if it's unhealthy, this has been the safest path for our body, and perhaps it's something that actually did at one time keep you alive. Even though it can turn incredibly dysfunctional as an adult, a lot of these patterns and safety mechanisms that we've employed, we tend to stay stuck in because we don't know how to create a better or safer way to grow and a safer way to change. Really, the threat of change, even healthy change, becomes so overwhelming that we just stay stuck in these old patterns. And that leaves us living for external things that we feel might change us or that we believed are the answer to our problems, partially because we become so disassociated with ourselves that we have no other option but to run to outside things to try to fix us. But as I mentioned in the first podcast, I want us to get beyond the idea that you need to fix yourself. It's actually humanly impossible. We don't have the capacity to fix ourselves. And yes, on some level, we're all broken. But instead of that, I want us to start recognizing the aspect of healing as a process of growing, not as fixing, of filling yourself, of stepping into yourself, of starting to create change and these growth patterns that help you to Uh, kind of evolve into a new human that help you become who you want to be, who you were purposed to be. And in order to do that, we have to start to recognize how our body is responding to the perceptions that we're receiving from the world around us. Now, this is where kind of the polyvagal theory comes in, and I'm going to talk about it in affect regulation. So I was talking about this to my husband. I tried to get him to come on the show. He didn't want to, but he was like, you are speaking gibberish. I have no idea what you're talking about. Today, I want to break it down because I think when you understand how your body is working based on uh, receptions that it's getting from the world around you, no matter how much you're trying to change your thought patterns, then we can start to really create more more behaviors in our life to pay attention, maybe even more to the behaviors that exist within our life and to recognize, okay, this might have once been a a means of survival. It's incredibly dysfunctional now. And now that I know I'm aware, I can make a new choice. And that's really what I want us to open up to today is the power of choice. Now, this is hard because we make a lot of choices, but a lot of the choices are outside of our control. We spend so much time trying to control things that we have no control over while missing the things that we actually do. Like, for example, we spend a lot of time trying to control our external environment and trying to control the way that we look when really we don't have the power to change the way that we look. 
Because changing the way you look is really a matter of what your body chooses to do. But what we do have the power to do is learn how to support our body so that it can make healthier choices or so that it can make decisions that are optimal for our health and our safety. So going back to the polyvagal theory, the polyvagal theory is really important to understand because it basically tells us and teaches us how our body is going to respond to the life that we're living. And often this polyvagal theory is just like AFAC regulation, it's going to go back into deep childhood. In fact, a lot of our nervous system response was developed in infancy, sometimes even in birth and in the womb. It's really this development about how our our caregivers responded to us and taught us how to regulate our bodies. We're going to get in that into that in a second because it is really important to understand and I think sometimes it can be really frustrating because it feels like that then is out of our control. I think it's important to note that while you didn't have the ability to control necessarily how a caregiver cared or didn't care for you and the way that was healthy for you to grow and to develop, understanding that maybe you didn't get the care that you needed to create these neural pathways that were necessary for a healthy body and a healthy response to life and a healthy worldview, I don't want to say give you permission, but give you a reason of maybe why life has felt so difficult. And in the process, helping you to learn that while you didn't get the care that you needed, you can now be the one to care for yourself and recreate these patterns that you didn't get to grow up with. It might be more difficult now, as anything is, But I think in some way as an adult and because of the way of human nature and the fact that all humans are the same, we all experience trauma. Trauma is a sense of pain or some kind of infliction of pain upon our lives, our minds, our emotional states. And honestly, being human means that we have the ability for our hearts to break. That's a common problem that 100% of all humans will face. We all have trauma but it's learning how to manage the trauma, shift the story of the trauma so that it no longer regains the power in our life to shift our entire biology to respond accordingly. And we will, as long as we let the continuous neural circuits that we have created through the trauma to maintain a sense of purpose in our life. Like I said in the body fat thing, right? The mind-blowing fact of body fat usually sticks around because it has a purpose to stick around. If you want it to leave, we have to stop giving it a reason to stay. And your body does nothing without reason and nothing without purpose. So when we dive into the polyvagal theory, it really does explain this. The polyvagal theory is a nervous system response to life. It's a nervous system response to what's considered the neuroception or the receptors on your nervous system, like specifically your vagus nerve that runs through from your brainstem all the way into your digestive system. It's picking up all kinds of information. And based on what that information is, your body's going to filter it and basically determine whether you're safe or unsafe. This is unconscious behavior that we really aren't even aware of that your body is every second of every day filtering through. So it's going to take in all of this information 
It's going to send it through your nervous system and it's going to determine a response. Now, the polyvagal theory has a system of responses broken down into three different things. One is our rest and digest phase, which is called the parasympathetic state. The second phase is the fight or flight state or your sympathetic state. And the third state is our freeze or the state where we shut down. If we look at it, the polyvagal theory is often laid out in a ladder form. So at the top of the ladder uh, is our most ideal state. And this is the ventral vagal nervous system. That's like a tongue twister. But it's the point of connection, of curiosity. You're grounded, present focus. You can be intimate. This is where you feel safe. I feel fun. I'm grateful. I'm being productive. I'm supported. It's really the sense of connection and present-mindedness. This is the ideal or of utmost safety. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's just the level of the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's certainly not the place that we should live all of the time. In fact, as we move down, I don't necessarily want you to think of the next two states as horrible states to live in. These are very necessary parts of human nature, and we actually need to experience all three of them. The most ideal form of life is to move down and up the ladder. It's a constant movement. It's a constant flow. It's not a set state. Thinking and believing that life is a set state or a destination that you reach is actually a survival response because our survival response is generally something that keeps you stuck, repeating the same loops over and over and over because you've gotten really great at those loops doesn't have to think about it. It doesn't have to worry about it. It knows how to keep you alive right here, right now. And any change, even minor change, the healthiest change can feel really scary and overwhelming, creating all kinds of traps and medicators for your body to go back to the old patterns. This is why we do crazy things. Like I don't want to continue repeating the behaviors of eating ice cream every single night. I want to give up gluten because I know it hurts my body. I want to work out. And I do. I know you want those things. Why can't you do them? Because at this point, the change that you're trying to make is so unsafe that your body doesn't have the mechanisms in order to step into and engage those new behaviors because there's not quite the sense of safety that your body needs to do something different. But when you're in this ventral vagal nervous system where your body is relaxed, it can be curious. It can be creative. It can start to take risk. But getting there means engaging with the hard and also knowing how to regain a sense of balance or being comfortable being dysregulated, but knowing that you don't have to stay dysregulated because you can move yourself back into a regulated state. Now, I'm kind of jumping the gun on this, so let's keep moving down the ladder. So the first is the ventral vagus nervous system. The next phase on the ladder as you move a little bit lower, a little bit lower to rock bottom, is the sympathetic state. This is the state where your body's picking up signals that it's in danger. And generally, the first state of this is to fight. You're going to fight back. You're going to do something defensive. You're going to get irritable. You're going to get a little worried. You maybe start to panic, but then you're going to start to move into the flight state where you start to avoid, you start to protect, you get into the stress state. 
This is the place of mobilization for your body. Your body's releasing hormones like cortisol that are going to mobilize energy so that you can either fight or you can flee. And it's here where people start to experience more things like anxiety, obsessive thoughts, restriction, binging, excessive exercise when it comes to more of the health modalities, purging. You probably will have thoughts like, this is overwhelming, there's too much on my plate, I'm going to be late. You start to get into this like, I need to mobilize, but I'm panicked and I don't know what to do, and you just start to get overwhelmed. It's kind of the overwhelming number of thoughts that are circulating through your head. Now, sympathetic state, again, is not unnatural, it's not unhealthy, it's actually something that we need to engage with from time to time. I'm not saying that in a means of purging or binging, those are patterns that come out of the unhealthy form of sympathetic state. What I mean by that is the unhealthy relationship with being stressed. And we live here, right? It's another thing the world has taught us that stress is bad, we should try to avoid it, And yet at the same time, we kind of use it as a badge of honor. Like if you're not stressed, are you even doing anything? When the reality is, is that stress isn't bad. It's creating the right view of stress that knows that while you can push yourself, you can do hard things, you can have this sense of mobilization that you need. It's knowing how to regulate yourself in the process. It's moving down the ladder so that you can move back up the ladder. It's the constant motion of life. Now, the third state is potentially the most dangerous. It's also the one that people tend to experience more often than not, especially if we don't find ourselves learning how to regulate out of the sympathetic state. And the last state is that freeze response or what's considered the dorsal vagal response. It's the place where we tend to feel numb, we become immobilized, we start to disassociate outside of our body, like we create a life outside of our body, we start to float away, we can get depressed, we shut down, we feel hopeless, we feel withdrawn. It's thoughts like, I can't cope, I collapse, I'm shut down, I'm so lost, this is hopeless, what's the point, I can't do it, no one understands, I'm invisible. This immobilization state is, again, a state that happens when we feel like we've expressed or exhausted our fight or flight to the point where that has no longer created the sense of safety that we need. We haven't been able to move out of that. We haven't escaped the problem. And so now it's just done. I just freeze. I've collapsed. I've burned out. I'm done. We can see this in nature with wild animals who are maybe being chased by a predator And they run and run until they get to the point where they're like, okay, the running's not helping, so they just collapse, right? They they freeze. And they're hopefully thinking that just playing dead will help them escape. And and this is really the the last point or what I consider more of the rock bottom space for most of us where we've moved completely down the ladder and we just feel like there's nothing left. Here's the deal. This is a normal a natural process that the body will take on to protect you. But we have to know that when we get here, while it's quote unquote normal, it doesn't mean it has to be your path. This is a place where I get to the point where I say, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to feel immobilized. It's okay to feel helpless and hopeless. 
but we cannot stay there because that is not an accurate description of what life is and what it has to offer you. And I think when we get here, the only way that we can see a way out, the only way that we can start to move up the ladder is to recognize your value. That is unchangeable. And we express our value in so many other things and we allow people and situations and circumstances to change and alter how we perceive our value. But all human life is valuable and there's nothing that can change that. We're going to talk about that in a future podcast, but it is really important to understand that when your value is not a metric that needs to be changed because it is standard, it is set, nothing can change that. Then you no longer have to fret and worry and feel so incapable of creating safety in your life. Because when you have value, you see a reason. And today, if you hear nothing else, I want you to know that your life is valuable and there is a reason to get healthier by creating safety within your own body. Now that's a big bomb I just dropped there. And I'm gonna let it linger because we're gonna talk about it in the next podcast and how valuable your life is and the connected whole of humanity. But I want to keep going with a polyvagal theory. So again, as we've moved down the ladder, we've gotten into the immobilization. And this is the place where a lot of people feel stuck. It is the place of stuckness where maybe your weight doesn't change. You just constantly feel depressed. And the lower that you go on the ladder, I want you to think of it as like a ladder going down into a hole. When you get down into the hole, it's hard to see the horizon. It's hard to look around. Your vision becomes more narrow. Your problems feel like they're the only thing in your vision. It's all you can see. It's all you feel. You're consumed by your issues. And that's what happens when you dig down into a hole. You can't see the light. You can't see that there's a world and a greater story out there for you. And we really can't change your story until I can help you move back up in the ladder to get you to that place where you have more curiosity and creativity where you have more connection to your whole. Because right now your problems exist in a way that feels so overwhelming that you have no option but to immobilize yourself and to freeze. So today I wanna show you a way out. Because we hear of these states a lot and we hear that like, hey, you're probably in sympathetic mode or you're in this stress state or you're in the um, immobilization state where it feels like you literally have no energy. And when you have no energy, the only thing that you can go back to is temporary fixes, like those medicators that we talked about in the last podcast, that give you just enough energy to sustain you, and in some cases, maybe give you enough energy to reach back up the ladder to the sympathetic state. So we reach for things like food, we reach for things like alcohol, we reach for things like drugs and pornography and um, relationships to try to fix us because in a way they do give you just enough energy to maintain your life. And I know that we want to throw those things under the rug and tell them you're your pro- they're your problem and yes, they are a problem, but they're also in some ways keeping you alive. Now, this might be a completely mute point for this podcast, but I think it is a good example of understanding an issue. So when my daughter was younger, she was very obsessed with her pacifier. And I know there's all kinds of 
ideas and a lot of controversy on whether you should give your kid a pacifier or you shouldn't, whatever. Like to me, it was straight survival. (laughs) She's my third child. She needs a pacifier. That's just the way it is. And of course, as all parents think, that we can just get our child to the point where we can just take away the pacifier and they can regulate themselves without it. Well, this child was different. She was obsessed with her pacifier and no amount of bribing and trying to work with her and taking it and threats and all the things worked to try to remove the pacifier. Like we just couldn't survive as a family without her having it. And I remember crying to a friend and she's like, you know, she's not going to go to school with a pacifier. No one ever does. I know it's crazy, but it will happen. She will eventually naturally just want to give it up. Now, What we didn't know at the time was that she was suffering from sleep apnea, and she actually was using the pacifier as her sense of survival. We didn't know it at the time and not until later when we had some treatment done, but the physician was actually told us, you know, I think she's using her pacifier to actually keep her airway open. And to us, what felt like um, an unnecessary tool for her was actually a tool of survival. It was keeping her alive. She needed it to survive. And again, I know that might miss the point a little bit, but I think it does show that what we often consider unhealthy in some cases is actually a form of survival that you've given purpose to keep you alive. And I think just understanding that and having the awareness allows you to respect your body instead of shame yourself for what you've done to stay alive. And I am in no way giving an excuse for you to stay addicted to things that are unhealthy. But I think it's unfair for us to assume that people engage with those unhealthy behaviors without purpose. There is a reason why we run to the unhealthy behaviors, because they are providing something that you haven't learned to provide for yourself, that you've needed to keep yourself alive. And this can come from cultural patterns, right? Like a lot of the unhealthy patterns and mindsets and the way that we deal with the influences in our life are inherited from generations. This is why race and socioeconomic cultures and even just culturally, it's going to change the way that we react and respond to life. It is. There is a generational component. Again, if we go back to what I mentioned earlier in the podcast and How you were born and how you were raised in those formative years is also very telling in how you're going to respond to life and what you're going to engage with. I mean, yes, there's all kinds of articles out there that tell you if you eat family dinners, your children are less likely to engage in drugs and they're more likely to achieve performance in school. But even if we go back earlier in the womb and birth stories and birth trauma and also just the attentive care that a caregiver provides an infant is foundational in determining how your body is going to attune to the circumstances of life. And this is really where we see a lot of problems come into the picture. We want to easily blame trauma and trauma definitely creates those pinpoints and those moments of unsafety where your body has no other option but to turn to whatever it can to create a sense of safety. There's purpose in that. But if we go back even further and how we understand people deal with trauma that develops later in their life is often a form of regulation that happens in infancy. 
Now, children, babies, are not born with the ability to attune to their nervous system cues. A baby needs regulated. It can't regulate itself. And it shouldn't be expected to regulate itself because most nervous system responses and neural pathways are actually developed through training and watching and through the patterns of their caregivers. And so a lot of the patterns that you have as an adult were probably developed in your childhood. And again, we can be upset and sad and we should grieve sometimes the situations in which your caregivers abandon you or left you or um, maybe didn't care for your needs in the way that all human beings deserve and need to be cared for. This is a really big issue. And again, it goes back to the connection aspect. You can change that. And I want to give you hope for that. But just going back to that infancy and understanding that neural pathways are developed and they're trained within a child and they're trained over time, which I think is why one of God's greatest gifts to us was that our brain is more like plastic. It's moldable and changeable even to this day because I think he knew that the sin and the brokenness of the world was really going to affect us. And if we couldn't change our brains, if those were set in stone, we would be an incredibly messed up world, more so than we already are. But I think his gift to us was to recognize that while our parents might fail us, he didn't fail us, and he won't fail us, and he gives us a way out. Going back to that, understanding that an infant needs attunement. It needs you to be able to regulate it for you. That's why it's when it's hungry, you feed it. When it's uncomfortable, you, you soothe it. When it can't sleep, you help it. Right? Like we start to see that when it's dysregulated, when the infant is upset or restless or having hiccups or hungry or its diaper is dirty, whatever it is, is it's our job as caregivers, or it was, or it is, or it's going to be your job as a caregiver to meet that child's needs. And as you meet their needs, what you're doing is you're teaching it that you're going to show up, that there's a sense of connection, but you're also starting to teach it how it can regulate itself. It doesn't know when it's hungry that it needs food. You teach it that when you're hungry, you need to eat. When you're restless and you're irritable, you need to sleep. It's teaching a child from infancy how to start regulating the internal response to life and how to provide what it needs to create a regulated body. It's teaching a child who's going to grow into an adult how to regulate a dysregulated body. And it's recognizing, even in childhood, that all humans are going to be dysregulated. Dysregulation is a part of human nature. It always has been. It always will be. From birth to death, we will be dysregulated. But it's not the dysregulation that's the problem. It's how we learn to regulate ourselves. And what was once needed by other people you can start to create within yourself. Now, as I mentioned, there's a huge connection aspect to that and that we heal so much better within connections because in a way we heal through receiving, but we're gonna talk about that in the next podcast. But essentially saying the polyvagal theory based on neuroception shows that we're taking in information inside of our bodies through these neuroceptors or these um, neurons throughout our body specifically through the vagus nerve, which runs from your brain stem to your gut. So everything you do from your brain to the things that are happening inside your heart and your beliefs to the things that you eat and how you feel 
Those things are all creating a sense of whether you feel safe or unsafe. And whether you feel safe or unsafe is going to determine every single output that your body does. Again, going back to the hormonal hierarchy, you can't fix your sex hormones without fixing the sense of safety and the cortisol response inside your system. It starts always with the level of safety or threat in your body. So again, the polyvagal theory based on this neuroreception is going to determine whether you're safe or unsafe. It's going to determine what state of the body that you are living in. Now, it might be really difficult for you to understand, am I fighting or flighting or am I freezing? And that creates a whole like kind of a a messy or it's easy to get lost in the confusion of it. And that's really where I want to talk about affect regulation because it's very similar. It goes hand in hand with the polyvagal theory, only it shows it based on a sliding scale. And I think anytime we can use a scale, it's easier to understand where we are on that scale and what we need to do to regulate ourselves on the scale. As we talk about body regulation, I think it's so important to recognize the critical power and need of energy. Now, as I mentioned, it takes energy to move yourself up on the ladder. And if you don't have the energy that you need, we're often going to turn to unhealthy patterns, to unhealthy substances to get ourselves moving, and why people are addicted to caffeine and sugar and things that really keep us stuck in these old patterns. But helping us to move out of them and get into a place to thrive is really about energy. Now, one thing that I love and what so many people struggle with is this mindset energy. We're so bogged down, overwhelmed, underproductive, all the things that we hate. But there is so much that we can do to help ourselves that does not rely on artificial substances to get ourselves there. And one of those things is magic minds. Now, I've been using magic minds on days where I feel like I need all the brain power that I can get, or in days when I just feel overly dysregulated. And I have to tell you, I really do love the quick and yet incredibly lasting benefits that I find from Magic Mind, especially on days that I podcast. It's such a mind drain, but Magic Minds has really given me like this extra pep in my step that does not leave me jittery like caffeine does. And the reason why is that there are so many amazing natural substances in Magic Mind that can help you feel so much better and have the energy that you need. Ingredients like matcha. Matcha contains way less caffeine than coffee, but it also contains additional compounds that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it, as well as L-theanine that reduces stress. These compounds work together to prevent the spike in cortisol and the inevitable crash that comes from ingesting too much caffeine. It also just naturally helps reduce the stress response by helping you to manage stress in a healthier way. It is nature's extended release version of caffeine, and I love matcha so much. And I especially love it as it's paired with other ingredients inside Magic Minds, like ashwagandha and lion's mane. Because I love it, I reached out to Magic Minds. They sponsored the summer's podcast series and gave you a code to try it out for yourself. You can learn more about Magic Minds and get your very own by going to magicminds.com backslash living well and get up to 50% off your subscription for the next 10 days with my code livingwell20. 
Again, make sure you check that out at magicminds.com backslash livingwell. And speaking of regulation, let's continue on with today's podcast. So technically, affect regulation is the felt sense of what is happening in your body. It refers to like this inner emotional body experience, which boils down to like the moment by moment experience of your internal body sensations. So it's essentially taking the polyvagal theory to the next level and whatever is happening inside those sensations, you're creating this affect response. It exists again on the spectrum of one to 10. The optimal range is actually between the numbers of five or six. So if you think about it like a pendulum, this is the point of balance, the zone of optimal arousal or the point of regulation. The zone or numbers five to six are where you feel this feeling of relaxed excitement. It's a present alert mindset that's highly focused. You're more creative, curious, able to connect. This is just the openness to experience life the regulated version of you. Now, the dysregulated version happens between the numbers of one and three and eight and 10. One and three is what's considered the hyperarousal or the low arousal state where your body sensations are things like you're numb, you're shut down, you have shallow breathing, you're poor focused. You tend to feel a sense of nothingness or kind of just heaviness. There's just a lack of energy in your system. This is often associated with emotions like shame, hopelessness, despair, depression. Again, it tends to be more of that freeze state or the furthest point on the ladder. So the hypoarousal, I like to think of as the lowest energy state. Now on the flip side, you have the higher energy states, the state of mobilization where you have an excess amount of energy where you're really trying to fight or flee. And this is what's considered hyperarousal. It would be the numbers on the spectrum between eight and 10. This tends to be where you have a racing heart, you increase your breathing, you have a tightness in your chest, you're amped up, you just have tightness everywhere. Some people clench their jaw, clench their fist. You just feel really tight everywhere. And this tends to be an association with panic, terror, rage, fear, worry, anxiety. All of those things can come out in this hyper arousal. Now, what's interesting in a podcast that we're going to get later on in the show is how our posture is actually partially determining the state of regulation or dysregulation that we're in. But also your posture can help your body to release or to regain a sense of balance. So for instance, when you're in a hyper aroused state, when you're in a state of panic and overwhelm, you tend to be really tight. You have balled up fists. You tend to clench everything down. Your muscles have these energy, like you're just really straight, really tight. You're ready to fight. In the hypo arousal state, you tend to have more of the C form, where your shoulders are hunched over, people tend to cross their arms in front of their midsection. That's actually a form of protection to your organs. It's a shield, essentially, from the world around you. You're not necessarily going to fight anymore. You're just going to create a shield, a body armor that hopefully wards off kind of this negative energy and just the trauma that you're experiencing or whatever is happening inside your life. You're trying to avoid the negative situation by just creating a shield around you. So you tend to get more in a ball shape. You tend to go back to that fetal position, 
Even when you're standing, you start to ball up or get that C-spine. That is really, again, in both cases, this really tight, amped up body, that one is actually very glorified in the health space. Everyone's like, suck it and tuck it, right? Like suck your stomach in, tuck your butt. Like that actually is signifying, again, based on neuroception, that you're in a fight or flight state. Even when you're not, just standing in that suck and tuck mentality of the diet world where you pull your stomach in, you pull your butt in, you take short, shallow breaths, God forbid you open up your stomach at all, that is going to trigger the stress state in your body, even if you're not living in it, making it hard for your body to actually heal. On the flip side, again, standing in that C response, having those hunched over shoulders, constantly crossing your arms in front of your chest, which is me to a T, I will tell you, is also causing a response to your system that says you're in a stress state, you're immobilized. Body posture experts or people who can read people based on how they stand, there's a lot of research behind this. I know it sounds absurd, but your entire spine, your vagus nerve, it's all taking in information and how you're interacting with the world based on your position actually one of the most critical factors that is going to determine the state that you're living in. It's a super fascinating topic, and I definitely want to get into it more, but it's going to apply to you today because I want you to pay attention to that posture state. We're going to talk about this again a little bit more at the end because I want to get back into the spectrum of hyperarousal and hypoarousal, but understanding your posture is a good way to understand, am I regulated or am I not? And understanding situations when you feel the need to kind of tighten up, when you feel the need to hunch over, to cross your arm, who are you with in those moments? Who are you interacting with? What situations are you in? What is making you feel the need to stand or to live in that kind of way? And what would it take for you to take some deep breaths and open back up? Because it's the opening up, it's the releasing, it's the deep breath, it's the relaxation, but also the excitement. Some people consider this more of the power pose. Um, There's an entire TED Talk on it. I'll link it up in the show notes. But the power pose, the V response is, we see a lot of this. I even think about like people in worship, right? Raising your hands. It's this response of victory, of opening up, of, uh, again, relaxed excitement. That's really the ideal, the most regulated form where we're going to experience the most life and have the most energy. And what's fascinating about this is naturally you're going to change and be able to release more of this stored trauma that's in your fascia system and actually change the way that you look more than anything that you eat. Yes, weight loss matters, but if you really want to change the way that you look, you have to understand the fascial system because... Fascia is going to shift the and lengthen or condense and shorten the look of your entire stature. And I think more than what you weigh is you just want to look a certain way. And so understanding fascia, understanding posture, which means you need to stay tuned in this podcast series because we're really going to dive into that. It's something that I've put a lot of focus in and time And even though I haven't lost a ton of weight because I realize it's just not safe or healthy for my body too, I do feel like I've completely changed the way that I look just based on learning the fascia system, releasing things, 
um, creating more sense of safety in my body and the way that I stand and posture myself in life is really going to make a huge difference. So going back to the AFAC regulation, before I get into things that you can do to help yourself, is the hyperarousal state, again, is the low state of energy, the immobilized state, what's kind of called your freeze state. Hyper is the mobilized state that is more of your fight or flight. And then, of course, we have the range between four and seven, ideally between five and six, where our body is regulated. Now, it can be really hard to notice this in someone else, although I feel like if we really pay attention, we can start to understand where someone's living. And understanding where they're living can help you understand how you're responding to them because we respond to people based on our own felt need and safety inside of our system. That's why like when my when my husband, I feel like his nervous system is maybe in a hypo-aroused state, which feels really threatening to me. In order for me to help regulate that, I think I need to go to a hyper-aroused state, which means I'm ready to fight you. <laughs> this is not healthy. We've done a lot of work, but I'm just giving you an example. He likes to live in this low place, so I... And my need to regulate my system because that feels really threatening to me, which is unhealthy to allow other people to affect your internal state. But we do it. I've done it. I'm trying to work on it. But when he's in that low state, in order to mobilize that or to move us out of that, I think I need to go into fight state, which actually doesn't help anything. The key is learning how to mobilize that in healthy ways. Instead of being like, let me pick a fight with you. Let me beat out of you why you're acting this way. Why you tell me nothing's wrong, but obviously something's wrong. Instead of constantly pestering him and trying to fight him on that. What I could do is say like, hey, I understand that you're not feeling great today or you're having one of those days. Why don't you go out for a bike ride? Or why don't you go out for a walk or a jog? Or what if we take the kids to the swimming pool tonight? It's mobilization that hypo-aroused people need, not in an unhealthy way where I'm trying to fight it based on creating this mobilization through negative emotions, but I'm helping them to become aroused. And when I'm in a hypo-aroused state, I know that moving my body, doing something active, trying to engage in something that's going to create emotion in my life, even listening to upbeat music can start to create the energy that you need to move yourself back into the regulated state. So really, it's understanding and being able to recognize this is how I'm feeling. We don't need to know the story that got you to this place because that's going to be really hard to see when you're down on the ladder. The only way we're going to start to create a change in the story and a change in your perspective is to move you back up into the regulated state where you can see across the horizon where you can see bigger things, where there's more light that's able to infiltrate that story and provide truth. We cannot get there until I can help you climb up the ladder. And and that's why I don't want you to expect that you even have to understand your story right now. It matters. We have to know our story and our perception is not always accurate. It's not always true. That's all we need to know to recognize that while it might not be true, it's not beneficial, it's definitely not healthy. The only thing that we can do in a very dysregulated state is try to regulate the nervous system with actions in your daily life. Again, if you're in a hypo-aroused state, 
the state where you have stuck energy, you feel really sluggish, that's the time when you need to create some mobilization. You need to have a boost in emotions. You need to do something with your friends. You need to get out and move your body. Um, Doing something to arouse your nervous system is going to be really, really important. Honestly, one of the best ways to do this is deep breathing, trying to create some breath in your lungs, creating that deep sense of breathing, because a lot of times we get into that shallow, stuck breathing on both ends of the spectrum can help you create regulation. Now, if you're in the hyper state where your body's over aroused in that fight or flight state, what you need to do is learn techniques that can help calm you. Things like meditation, prayer, journaling, maybe doing a a low impact workout, reading, doing something that can start to bring you back down to a regulated state. And we're going to need tools on both sides of the picture because we're always going to find ourselves in a hyper-aroused state and a hypo-aroused state. The most critical element is that we don't stay there, because as long as we stay there, the longer we're there, the more patterns we're going to create from within that, and the more that becomes our way of life. Neurocircuits are really just the consistent theme of which we live out of. So some people are like, and I used to be this way, I'm so negative. I'm just negative. That's just who I am. That was an ingrained pattern that was my consistent way of life that became my norm. What took me a while was learning to create safety within myself, starting to see a new perspective, shifting the story, but then it was becoming consistent in the new story. It's not perfect. It's going to take work. It's going to take immense patience and learning and trusting this process, but it's slowly working yourself out and creating new consistent patterns. And over time, those patterns will become your way of life. That's how this process works, is we first have to learn how to regulate ourselves before we can engage in the work of understanding our story, digging back into the trauma, releasing that, and creating something new. It takes safety in order for you to do that. So what does it mean to create a sense of safety? Well, one, I think the AFEC theory shows that if you can figure out where you are based on that scale. I'm going to leave that over in the blog post. We're going to dive more into it in the weekly fill. So make sure you get on both of those, but it's going to help you understand what you need to do. And the key elements is how can you create the most safety inside your system based on how you're feeling? So one is having the awareness to understand how you're actually feeling. And then from the awareness, you can start to understand, I don't even know, need to know why I'm feeling this way. I just am feeling this way. And this is what I can do to help support my body. And some of the key elements of supporting your body are going to be pretty typical and traditional methods of health, but we have to see them as not means to change your body, but looking to support your body. So eating nourishing food, getting adequate rest, moving your body, creating positive and healthy connections, finding ways to relax, starting to shift your perspective of stress, maybe changing your lifestyle, saying no to more things, creating more space in your life, doing things that are gonna push your body and get you outside your comfort zone just a little bit. Um, Things like going out with your friends or having people over to your house, um, doing a hard workout. Those things can all help regulate your system based on and always dependent upon a sliding scale 
When you're hyper aroused, what your body needs is something relaxing and calming. And when you're hypo aroused, you need something invigorating and exciting. If you think about it that way, I think it becomes more enjoyable to create the process of regulation. Now, the thing about this is when you've experienced a level of trauma, and some people experience what's considered like the big trauma, the big T trauma, these big, horrible events, which a lot of people experience, um, but maybe not as much as low T trauma, which can be just as negative as big T trauma. Low T trauma is um, these smaller events that tend to happen more repetitively or just smaller events. Again, our body's going to adjust to those to create a sense of safety around those to try and prevent you from experiencing them again by creating new patterns and adjusting your nervous system and the way your body responds accordingly. But the more trauma that you have, whether big tree trauma or a lot of little t trauma, what you're going to find is that you're going to get dysregulated on smaller things and you're going to have a harder time regulating yourself. And this seems really backwards because you would think at the prevention of pain that your body would do anything and everything to regulate yourself. And yes, it does. But when you've experienced more trauma, you tend to look for the quick fixes to your dysregulation. And this is where people start to engage with addictions and medicators and traps, things that are really unhealthy, but temporarily actually mask the pain. Again, the things that we want to hate, but give us purpose. And so I think, again, understanding that if you've had a lot of trauma, you are going to get dysregulated by the smallest of things, things that some people might not even notice, you'll notice like the argument that the couple at the table next to you at the restaurant is having, that has no impact on you, but you might find, man, that really dysregulated you. For whatever reason, it's making you tense. You don't know what to do about it. You just get dysregulated. Maybe it's someone dropping something in the loud noise. Could just be the way someone looks at you. It could be moving in traffic. There's a lot of things that could dysregulate you that seem really, really silly. And I want you to remember that they're not silly, they're protective. And the smaller things and the more narrowed your vision is, is because of the trauma that you've experienced. You've got to give yourself a little grace on this and recognize that while you are triggered by that, shaming yourself or guilting yourself for being triggered by that doesn't help the situation. You need to have some kind of awareness to it, acceptance of it, And then in the process of that, recognizing that while I feel triggered, while I feel scared right now, while I feel angry right now, I don't have to act accordingly. You can get angry without acting on your anger. You can get sad without withdrawing. So you can experience the emotion, but the regulating form is not not experiencing the emotion. It's learning how to handle that in a healthier, more positive way. And this is really the power of emotional IQ, right? Like this is what all humans need is that if we can get to the place where we're not shoving or numbing or disassociating with ourselves, but we can feel all of the things because our feelings are valid. And it's those emotions that are driving all of life, even logic. But when you start to live aware of the emotions, you start to experience the emotions, then you know how to act out of them. You're not controlled by them, but you get to be in control of them. And really, I think the last thing that I want to leave you with and why this is so important to me is because everything in life we're doing to create a sense of regulation. 
we can say it's bad, it's not good, but I think sometimes the way our lives are, the way that we're acting is always to create a form of regulation, no matter unhealthy it might be. And again, I don't say that to justify any behavior at all, but to become aware that everything we do, the life that we have, the beliefs that we carry are all in order to create regulation to the disorder that our life feels. And when we start to understand that and we start to acknowledge our behaviors without shame and without guilt, I think we're able to move through them to create healthier patterns. We're not controlled by them, but we get to control them based on our choice on living aware and choosing what we'll do with them because we know how to regulate them. And when you learn to regulate in a positive way, you no longer have the addiction, the need to run back to the unhealthy behaviors. But again, it takes understanding when you're feeling dysregulated. Humans are driven with a biological need to regulate their effect. You will do whatever it takes because you're committed above all else to regulate your body and to do that in a way that creates the most sense of safety. And we make all decisions out of that. So in order to get healthy, in order to have healthy relationships, in order to experience life in the way that we were given, we need to learn how to regulate our body so that we are no longer living in this dysregulation that drives unhealthy behavior. But we know that when we're dysregulated, this is what I can do to re-regulate ourselves. Really, in a sense, it's not being so concerned with the dysregulation. We're not fearing that or trying to avoid that, but we're actively engaging with it, knowing that we can regulate ourselves on the other side of it. A lot of this was learned in infancy, but a lot of people, again, didn't have the caretakers who were, one, regulated themselves and therefore could healthily regulate you and teach you how to regulate yourself. So a lot of us are starting with a blank slate. So here's some things that I want you to think about and to focus on as we move forward. Again, our body and everything in it is looking for a need of safety. We have to create a sense of safety. And one of the best ways to create a sense of safety is to live aware of when we're feeling unsafe. It's to start to recognize and to name and to hold space for the unsafe in our life. In a way, when we create space for the unsafe things in our life, we take away some of their power. It's like anxiety. It's Anxiety is not bad. It's the anxiety about the anxiety is where we really start to see the problem. It's not the unsafety that we're experiencing. It's how the unsafety creates more fear and more scarcity and unsafety. And that's really where we start to experience the problem. I know I kind of talked in a circle there, but what I'm trying to say is we have to learn to sit with some of these uncomfortable feelings And in a way, the more we sit with those uncomfortable feelings, the more comfortable we'll become with the uncomfortable things. And I think that happens by recognizing those things are not out to destroy you. You're not engaging with unhealthy behaviors on purpose. There is a reason. You need to give that reason a name. Why? What are you feeling? And from there, I think it's also important to recognize what are the little things that I can do to create a sense of regulation? understanding when you're unregulated, but also knowing what can I do to help my body re-regulate itself. This is not rocket science. There is no perfect equation. It is going to be dependent on you in an everyday, unique way. But it's things like, how can I feed my body well? How can I move it? What does my body need today? Do I need a little bit more rest? 
Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to do something fun? Like it's all the little things of living life that we can pay attention to that we recognize are either dysregulating us or regulating us, are either energizing us or not energizing us. Now, at the end of the day, the only way that we're going to regulate ourselves is to create a balance within our energy. It takes work and energy to get out of the immobilized state. Why do people engage with drugs? Because sometimes that's the only form of energy they can get to get themselves better, including caffeine, right? We use caffeine. We use relationships. We use sex. We use porn. We use all of these quote-unquote addictions to move ourselves up into that safest place. The flip side to the fight or flight, when we have too much energy, we also use relationships and things like alcohol to pull us back down. We engage in unhealthy things because we have to. But when we can create healthier patterns, we no longer rely on the unhealthy things and our body starts to become regulated by very healthy things. And that is choice. It's paying attention and it's knowing your body needs energy to do this work. How can you support your body with that? Not about right or wrong, but how can you work to regulate your body? Now, again, this is really important in the next coming lessons because we're going to get into some deeper stuff, stuff that might push you into a dysregulated form, talking about trauma, uh, uncovering pain, walking into discomfort is a form of dysregulation. It's necessary to heal. And that's why understanding how to regulate yourself when you become dysregulated or when you walk into dysregulation, it's going to help you to engage in more healing behaviors. Because all change, even healthy change, is a form of dysregulation. And the only way that you're going to change is if you can find comfort and knowing that you can sit in the dysregulation because you know how to regulate yourself on the other side of that. And eventually, what you're going to find is that you can have and experience a lot of stress. Humans are created to maintain and withstand so much stress. Like if you ever read David Goggins' book, You Can't Hurt Me, then you know humans can do crazy hard things. And we are capable of that. You are capable of that. And it happens by constantly regulating yourself. And the more regulated you are, the bigger span of balance you're going to get. Meaning your body can be stressed and still be imbalanced. And it can be stressed really hard and not ever leave that state of balance because you're so resilient. And this is really what it means to build that anti-fragile life. But we have to be okay with the dysregulation because we know how to regulate ourselves. And the more that we learn to regulate ourselves, the less dysregulation we'll experience even when life pushes on us really, really hard. It's gonna just feel so normal. So I'm gonna leave more over at The Living Well where we can dive into this more. You're gonna have the sliding scale of AFAC regulation so you can start to pinpoint where you are. I'm also gonna give you some more tools, but I really need you to start creating your own toolbox of things that help you heal. And I'm gonna tell you, it's always about energy. Now, if you don't know where you fall in this energy spectrum and how much energy you have, it's a critical for healing. I created a free quiz that can help you learn more about your energy level, you can find that over at thelivingwell.com. Again, it's, it's a tool that's supposed to help you understand where you are, give you tons of resources to help you move up on the energy spectrum to get you into a place of thriving. It's essentially the same thing. It's recognizing how to supply energy so that your body can thrive. 
If you haven't taken the quiz, do so. If you took it a while ago, take it again and see if you've moved up on that scale. It is a tool to constantly come back to to help you understand how much progress you're making in this journey. And trust me, it's so much better than the scale. Okay, that is it for today's podcast. In the next podcast, we're gonna talk about the topic of codependence on health, which I think is where so many people live and really is creating this very unhealthy vision of health. It's just leading us in the wrong direction. And I think that's why health doesn't work for the majority. But when we learn the right relationship with health, a lot of things can change. So make sure you come back next week for the brand new podcast, All Unregulating Your Health. In the meantime, don't forget to head to The Living Well, check out more information on regulation, and sign up for the weekly fill. I have some really good and helpful tools that I'm gonna be supplying you there that you can find nowhere else. So make sure you sign up to get those free downloads to help you out as we continue on this journey of creating your toolbox on how to heal. I'll see you over at The Weekly Fill.